Hello, I'm David Sparks, and joined by my fellow co-host, Rosemary Orchard. And this is The Automators, where we talk about how to automate your technology to do your bidding for you. Hello, Rosemary Orchard. Hello, David. How are you? Good. It's been a few weeks since we talked. I always am happy when we get on the microphone together to talk about crazy automation. Me too. And this week, we have another person with us. We could call this episode Two Austrians and an American, because we've got someone else. One of your countrymen. Welcome to the show, Simon Leib. Hello. Hello, Rose. Hello, David. Thank you for inviting me. I feel very honored. Yeah, well, we're, we're big fans of your app. Uh, Simon is the developer of the PushCut app, which is a very handy tool if you're going to do automation. Today, we're going to talk about how we use uh, PushCut in our automation, and Simon's going to talk about the app. We're also going to talk just about some of the automation stuff Simon does to keep himself going. I think this is going to be a really fun show. Yes, I'm very much looking forward to diving into some of the crazy ways that I have uh, got PushCut set up, including the fact that when I got home today, I got approximately 10 notifications from PushCut, and I'll tell you why as we get into it. Well, I can't wait to hear that, and I also can't wait to talk about everything you want to know about PushCut. So, so Simon, how did you get started? You know, thinking about automation. I mean, you've built a whole application around it, so it must be a big deal to you, right? You know, I'm not really sure when I started automation. I've been a programmer forever, like for I don't know, 15 years at least. And so, you know, programming is you, you always automate when you program some, somehow, and. And all of that is, of course, surrounded by tools and utilities that automate. But I think in the, in the sense of what, I guess, iOS users and shortcuts users and, and, and what this show is more about, I think it started when I, when I kind of decided to go all in uh, on uh, home automation, like do-it-yourself stuff for, for, for my apartment here. And I, you know, I bought a Raspberry Pi and I bought all those components and I, I co- uh, cobbled them together to do things. And uh, I would say that's when I really got got hooked on, on like automation and scripting stuff and connecting stuff, mainly in the home automation uh, thing, actually. So did you get really started with HomeKit type devices or was it more of a rolling your own with, uh, with just code that you wrote yourself or something like, um, I'm, I'm forgetting the name, Home Assistant? I did look at HomeKit. That was what I wanted to do. But I, I quickly learned, as I think many do, that there are not that many devices, especially in Austria. It seems to be even less than in the U.S. And the way you can connect them and combine them just felt very limited. Like you're, you're always kind of whatever, whatever uh, is intended for you to do that kind of works, but you can't really you know, draw outside the lines too much. And so I quickly found out that there's this whole community around Raspberry Pis and, and there's this whole do-it-yourself world, which I didn't really know before. Oddly, I, I wasn't really much into like the whole open source world at all. I, I was developing like Microsoft server solutions for, for logistics, mainly that's very, you know, corporate controlled own things. And uh, I, so I didn't really, uh, uh, clash with the uh, the whole open source uh, world too much, and I was amazed what's what's out there. Like everything you can you can imagine, somebody wrote it and, and hosted it on Git, GitHub somehow. So I, I was really um, quite blown away by what's there for you to get for free. Uh, but I also quickly learned that it's not really for free. It costs a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to to actually make it work and to to like really 
to really have it stably run uh, at home. But but I, I really got hooked, and and once you're in, uh, uh, you can't really go back. And and so I, I bought all those um, you know cheap devices that you can hook in in your wall behind the switches and stuff like that, and and basically did it all like that. Uh, the software I used was called is called OpenHab. That's I don't really know how I came about it. It's one of the bigger ones for do it yourself, I think, and that's pretty much what I connect everything with. Well, it, it, it's always a challenge because Apple does have some automation built into HomeKit, but it's not enough for a lot of folks. Uh, and and every year they get a little better, like now that they've integrated um, Siri shortcuts with it. And even now, if a listener of the show tries out PushCut, there's a bunch of stuff you can do with PushCut with it. But it, it does kind of democratize it, makes it a little easier for people to use. But then at some level... It's like, okay, do I want to go to the homebrew stuff? Because it, it, there is definitely not only blood, sweat, and tears for the people making it, but also for the people installing it and using it for the first time. Absolutely. That's what I meant by blood, sweat, and tears. It's <laughs> it's like there is a, the, the price you pay for one of those HomeKit devices, it's a good price because what you what you spend time and like, you know, playing around and fixing things and being frustrated for stuff not really working. I'd rather pay like thirty bucks extra or something. It's it's it all it's all good with HomeKit. I think you get simplicity until HomeKit has a weird little issue and then doesn't quite work as you expect. So, for example, last night we pressed the button to turn off all the lights in the apartment, and all but one light turned off. I don't know why, <laughs> because when I ran it again from my phone instead of from a physical button which runs that same scene, everything worked. I am mystified. But you get that with all of these solutions, oh, yeah. honestly. I mean, I was talking to somebody um, kind of in the know on this stuff and development on this, and he was telling me the big problem is that the um, radio bandwidth on these things is extremely limited. And the more devices you add to your house, the more difficult it gets to find space to talk. So that's when you have like one light gets missed. It's because... There's so much happening in that narrow bandwidth that it just doesn't get the signal. Yeah, I had an issue once where, and it took me forever to figure this out. I had my, I got new Wi-Fi routers at home. And I had the the whole Hue, I have a couple Hue lights. And the Hue bridge somehow was like close to the Wi-Fi router, as I guess is, is true for many people. And things just started falling apart. I would have really bad connection in my office, Wi-Fi-wise. I had dropouts all the time, and I thought, well, this this new uh, Wi-Fi router is is not, not good at all. And also, I noticed that that a few lights, uh, a few lights would would have behave weirdly, right? And and luckily, there is an option to change the channel on the Hue thing, and suddenly everything worked again. And I just you know made me realize how. How how those things are fighting for your airspace in your in your apartment somehow with with all the frequencies uh, mic- intermixing and stuff like that. Yeah, it's so tenuous if you know <laughs> what's going on, and that that's one of the reasons why I like those Lutron Cassetta switches. Another person, uh, Robert Spivak, who was a guest on MPU a while back and is a really connected on this home automation stuff, was telling me they have their own bandwidth. They like bought their own section of the spectrum for their switches. And I, I'm sh- I think that's why they work so good is because they're not fighting with everything else. But um, anyway, uh, so, so you got some home automation stuff. You, you kind of went down that, that rabbit hole. And then at some point you decided, 
I'm going to use my development talents to make an app, an automation-based app. How did that happen? It's not that straightforward in a way. I, I didn't actually think, oh, I'm going to build this app. It was, it all started with this weird thought that, you know, while I still had my job, my regular job, I, I thought, you know what? Maybe uh, the life of an indie app developer is a good idea. And my, my reason immediately kicked in and say, what are you talking about, man? Like, this is not a good idea at all. You, you make a pretty decent living. You have a family and a home to take care of. Don't do that. But it, it kept it kept just, you know, popping up in my head. And eventually it was, it was almost as if my brain would say, if you don't do this now, you're just a coward. <laughs> and, uh, and I couldn't really escape the track I put myself on. And I, I had a, a long list of app ideas. I would just start compiling those ideas. And, and one of them was, I looked it up today. It just said, uh, and I'm pretty sure it was inspired by something Federico said on Connected. It wasn't really exactly this, but he basically, you know, <laughs> reported excitedly about URLs and whatever he, <laughs> he connected in, in the way only he can. And it was about some shortcut thing somehow. And I, I just took down this note uh, and and basically it was it was something like trigger shortcuts from notifications, and it wasn't even the first idea on the list, and it definitely didn't seem like the easiest to do, uh, but but that kind of got paired with with this other thing. So I have like two more things I would say. One of them was I was never quite happy with the direction that I felt all the whole home automation was going, where everything was voice controlled. And everybody had their like the series and the Alexis and, and and whatever you have, and I was never a big fan. It's good they work and you know nothing. Series a lovely lady, I'm sure, but I was never. Maybe it's also the German thing, right? It's it does it's it doesn't feel all too reliable, and it always felt weird to me to speak out loud in my apartment, especially when other people are home. And I always really loved the the Apple Watch. Uh, like the complications with quick buttons and and that sort of thing. I I I loved having like the one two tap sort of things where you can you know trigger the things you do every day uh, with a tap instead of like talking to to some some lady in the can. Uh, and and in a way, uh, maybe and maybe the third direction that that kind of flew into this too uh, was that. I, I once tried with my open hab scripting thing. I tried to automate uh, like the light scene in our living environment with a couple of lamps and stuff like that. And I had like a motion sensor that would see me come in the door and I would know which devices are at home. If my wife's at home, if I'm at home, I would even know like how dark it is. Is it outside? Like what's the light, uh, the lighting conditions outside? And I just tried to, to script something that when I, come home, but it's not too late. It should turn on this light and it should be this dimmed. And it's basically, I felt you can't really do that well. Like it's, it's almost impossible to, in a way that doesn't eventually one day really frustrate you, automate that sort of thing, like fully automatic. And, and that's basically the, the situation I learned where, where I thought some things just have too many variables to do it fully automatic. It's just too complicated to to really have the computer guess what you want in this situation. And and that's where I think this idea started, where I thought, well, if only it could just ask me, like, 
or if only I had like two buttons next to the door where I could say, well, today is, you know, the evening kind of day or it's the bright lights kind of day or it's the don't wake up the kids kind of day or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. You definitely add a degree of difficulty when you live with other people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I have the same thing with my wife and kids. Like I can get as fancy with the automations I want, but they, you know, you add that exponential difficulty of other people and things just don't work. Absolutely. Do you know the the term WAP? No, what is it? I, I learned this quickly in the forums when I was like Googling around for home automation. It's called wife approval factor. Oh, yeah. Yes. And it's, that, I think, that an obstacle important. as nerds have to overcome. Yes, yes. anybody with, <laughs> with a partner. Even in my case, my, my, my partner is super techie um, and he's into computers and everything. But he didn't get that sitting around half in the dark means that when he turns on one of the lights and then triggers the motion sensor, the motion sensor doesn't realize um, that he wanted to be sitting half in the dark. And then it turns that light off after 10 minutes. So I've had to reprogram some home automations to be a little bit more, in my case, boyfriend approved um, rather than wife yeah. approved. But uh, who, the, whoever the you're living with, bap. at some point, <laughs> they will get upset with you if you're doing this stuff if you don't do it right, which is one of the reasons why adding that extra manual step may not be as automated as we want, but it's probably as automated as they want. There's also the story, I'm sure you've come across this. I think, David, even you talked about this once when the whole hue lights came out and people would just put them in their regular sockets. Yes. And then would say, well, it's great and all, but my spouse doesn't get it that she can't use the switches. And I always thought, you have it completely wrong, man. Of course she'll use the switches or he'll use the switches. Yes. That's just not, that's just not how this works. Yeah. I, that, my assumption that, yeah, of course they're going to pull a phone out of their pocket and go to an app to turn the lights on rather than use press the button that they've been using their entire lives. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> what could go wrong with that? Yeah, I mean, exactly. You know, they, they, Maybe the secret to success is to combine setting up home automation with moving house, because then they will never have the muscle memory of this light switch here does what I want. No, you're <laughs> never going to get past the light switch. You got to no. have, you got to design it around people's, you know, preferences. And that's why, Absolutely. like, in my case, buying the Lutron switches solve that problem because, oh, yeah, the switch is still there. They can turn it off and on, but I can still automate. And, and the light situation is kind of handled for me. But triggering them, which is the problem Simon is talking about, is not necessarily solved because you're right. I mean, like, I, I try to put um, automations built in, like, when the front door opens, certain lights turn on. But then all of a sudden, it doesn't always make sense. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes, we have that. Um, we actually have a button now inside of our front door that when we come, when we leave, we press it once and we can just turn everything off. But when we come back, there are two different modes. We can either double press it or press and hold. Um, and the the difference between those two is how, how many lights they turn on, where they turn them on, and how much they turn them on. One is intended for them for the somebody's at home probably already asleep situation or relaxing in front of the television doesn't want to be blinded with lights. Whereas the other one is, I've just got home and I my tram was redirected and I'm running late and I want to record a podcast. Nobody else is home. Light up everything, please. Uh, which conveniently I use today because, yes, my tram was redirected before recording this podcast. Well, it, I've got, um, I think I may have talked about this on one of the podcasts, but I, I've got a button. It's in a couple places in the house, but you press it and it turns basically all the lights on, you know, except in the bedrooms. And the idea of this is, of course, if you hear a noise or if you come home and you just want to light up the house, you press a button, it turns all the lights on. But I have this medication I take at night. It's an eye drop. So I put these drops in and then I 
was putting my hand in the drawer to put the drops away with my eyes closed. And I kept hitting the button and everybody in the house would either have the lights turn all on or turn all off, either of which was not ideal. <laughs> and, uh, and then I finally figured out how to do that where I, I would not accidentally trigger the button. But that but that's why you have push cut, right, Simon? I think what Rose described before was exactly the type of situation I had in mind. Like sometimes you just want an option or you want a couple mm-hmm. options to choose from and, and automation can't really do the, the final guess for you what's right right now. I think that's what, so all those things together, right? Triggering shortcuts from somewhere, from the internet or something. And and this sort of idea that voice control is not always great. You want uh, to push a button at the right moment or you want to have an option presented to you at the right moment from your smart home or something. That Those all combined was basically when I thought, well, you know what? That's what I'll do. I'll just make a... I'll just make this push app that gives you options. And that's basically how Pushcut was born. And the first version, Rose remembers, I, I, I remember uh, very fondly that you you pretty much from version one uh, saw what this did and, and wrote about it. And uh, the first version was was basically just push notifications that you can hook up to shortcuts and, and run that. Uh, but in my mind, it was it was never so much about automating shortcuts. It was always more about having automation ask you a question and you have you have the options to respond like with one tap that's kind of what drove me that's that's what i wanted to build and the shortcut initially was just well the first thing that came to my mind is what in a shortcut you can you know do whatever and you can especially call a web service or you can call a home kit scene and so i thought i'm good right i thought that's that's what i need to do build a a a notification that where you have multiple options of shortcuts. That's how it all started in a way. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by our friends at Text Expander. Go to smilesoftware.com slash podcast, let them know you heard about it at Automators, and get 20% off your first year of Text Expander. With Text Expander, you can make everything you write repetitively available to you anywhere you type. And for Mac users upgrading to Catalina, Text Expander is good to go. Text Expander works everywhere you type Word, Google Docs, email, web forms, and more. With Text Expander, you can send emails and personalize every last one with Text Expander's fill in and pop up features. Text Expander for Teams helps you and your employees get up to speed faster because all the things they need to type right away are already typed for them in Text Expander snippets. I'm a big fan of Text Expander. I've been using it for years. I use it every day in my legal practice. I also use it extensively with customer support for the Max Sparky Field Guides. I even have a team account, so the people that assist me can get access to those snippets exactly the way I want them written. One of my favorite ways I use Text Expander is with my legal practice. The monthly billings go out in a web form. I just type in a Text Expander snippet. It automatically includes the current month, so the invoice shows the current month without me having to type it in manually every month. And it does a bunch of other stuff too, to save me a bunch of time. Using Text Expander, I get my bills out in about 20 minutes. It's awesome. Text Expander is available for Mac OS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And Automator's listeners get 20% off their first year. Just go to textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. 
That's TextExpander.com slash podcast. If you've been meaning to try TextExpander out, now is the time to try. TextExpander.com slash podcast. Let them know you heard about the automators. And our thanks to TextExpander for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, let's dig in then on PushCut. Well, explain what the problem you're solving with PushCut is. I know, I guess you kind of did that before the break. Uh, I always had trouble explaining, you know, people would ask me, especially after I quit my job, like, what are you doing? And I thought, well, I make this app and, you know, and I, I always struggle to come up with this, you know, one sentence pitch that everybody would say, yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, I, I think I still haven't because in, in a way, it's this utility that you can connect, you know, from anywhere, anything that, you know, produces events, if you will, your home automation, your, you know, professional Zapier hook up some if event, whatever, can can ask you a question on your phone, can say, hey, this has happened. What now? Like, what do we do about this? So, and being this open, uh, it's it's kind of difficult to, to, to tell people what it really is. Well, in my head, it's the app that combines automation with options, which nothing else does that, to my knowledge. Um, because you you've got automation stuff in there, time-based triggers, location-based triggers, but then it gives you, it doesn't just run one shortcut. It gives you, you know, three shortcuts and you can pick one that you want to run. I mean, that's the way I use the app. And, and there's, you know, even when shortcuts got automation based triggers in it, it didn't give you those options the way Pushcut does. And uh, in, the, in my head, that's why your app stands out. Uh, you know, it's funny, the, the location and time-based things, I didn't really think about that too much. In my mind, it was, well, clearly, once you have the, the webhook, you know, that's good enough for everybody because, sure, everybody knows what, everybody's comfortable pasting those ugly URLs around. Yeah. <laughs> and that might, might not have been that true. Uh, and so, even I, whenever somebody asks me, so what do you do with it? My first two examples were, well, in the evening, it could ask you which type type of light you want to turn on. Or when you come home, it could ask you, should we open the garage door or should we open the front door? And and even my examples were almost always like the simple ones based on time or location. So I quickly learned that, well, you know, just put it in there as, as a default option. And that was before shortcuts uh, introduced their automations. Maybe I wouldn't have done it then, I'm not sure, but... At the time, it felt like the right thing to do. And um, what I think is a good idea was uh, you can combine locations and time sort of constraints is what, what the app calls it. So you can say, when when I'm at home, or you, you could say, when I get home, but only in the afternoon uh, during the week or something. Then trigger this. On all the other locations, don't even bother. Or, or like... Like um, you can say, you know, at a certain time of day when I'm at a certain location, which is nice. I think uh, especially those evening type of uh, things you do at home, you just don't need when you're somewhere else. Right? It makes no, there's no, no point. And I didn't even find any, any other app that would allow that sort of scheduling, really. So that, I think that's quite nifty. And my, one of my favorites, which I, I'm aware the world doesn't really care too much. It feels like a bit of a forgotten thing are iBeacons. I'm not <laughs> sure if you guys use them, but... I uh, I do use them. That's that's one of the, the ways that I get a lot of actual pushcut notifications. Yeah, the geofencing is just like, uh, I don't, I think it's an unwritten rule somewhere, but the, the, the region you can mark shouldn't be less than 100 meters in radius. 
which is a pretty big area, right? And it's just it's just not fine grained uh, enough for certain things, I believe. And iBeacons, if if you're willing to play with it a little, you have to set them up, and it's a bit you know, it's a bit of a nerdy thing to do, but but they work pretty reliably, I felt, and uh, that's it's. Uh, Probably something Apple will never build in, right? Is is uh, give you the option to program an iBeacon? It feels. Yeah, we're we're going to cover that at some point in the show. Uh, both Rose and I have some of them, and and you can like get room based automation with mm. an iBeacon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. In my case, I find it's much more accurate than the location. So I I've been trying a few things. So I've had uh, Pushcut sending me uh, notifications for when I get home like geo-wise, and then when I get home, I become wise. And the geo-wise always happens without fail within a like a one and a half block radius. So I get to the one and a half block radius and then it triggers. And then I actually get to my front door, at which point the iBeacon goes, hello, I'm here. And Pushcut goes, hey, you're home. And then they're going, yeah, this is clearly the much more accurate one. Of course, it doesn't hurt that my apartment is relatively small. But at the same time, my iBeacon is on my desk, which is the farthest point away from the front door in my apartment possible. Um, and it works perfectly. So yeah, as far as you know, you can you can program the signal strength of the beacon, mm-hmm. and based on this setting, the phone will see it, uh, you know, further away or or closer. And you can really go down. You can make an eye beacon. I, I don't know what the limits are, but you can easily say only when I'm in this room, and it wouldn't even register in the in the room, uh, you know, uh, in the in the next room because you can you can basically make the signal so weak. That the phone doesn't see it before that. Yeah, that's what makes them pretty pretty nifty for location based stuff. I think somebody needs to simplify that for consumers. I mean, yeah. they they're a pain in the neck to set up, and um, nobody has really done that. Um, but the uh, but yeah, I agree. We're going to probably do a show on iBeacons at some point. I think it makes sense on the automators. We just got to got to get to that one on the checklist. <laughs> you know, in my old job, uh, there was this saying, because, uh, you know, GUIDs or UUIDs, as Apple calls them, they're ugly, right? If you see them, you want to, if you're not a developer, you just, you know, want to turn around. It's, it's not something you should ever see. Yeah. And we always used to say, if a UI has a, as a GUID, it's, it's wrong. Like, you can never have that. It's not something that can ever exist. But with iBeacons, there's no other way around, because that's the only... Way you can speak to them is is with those long or with this long ugly ID. Yep, yeah. it's not really not really good look. Unfortunately, but aside from that, they are very useful. So they have their advantages. I want to talk about we we just kind of glazed over the fact that Pushcut uses webhooks as well. I mean, in addition to the time and location stuff on device, you've got this great webhook system. Could you explain that? Sure. That that was really that's kind of in the heart of it all. It's it's almost more a, a service than it is an app, because if in order for your phone to like pop something up in your face, it needs to know when and why. And the things you can do on device itself are very limited. It's basically you can say when I enter or exit this location, or you can say at this time. That's pretty much it. So you can never say, well, when I get an email from here or there, or when this sort of device does something, even with HomeKit, there is no way you can do that on, like you can have your program your phone to to do something when a certain condition is met. And even with shortcuts now, like the, of course you have the shortcuts automations, which are those great, you know, entry points for 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 those everyday things. But you can't really, you know, I don't know, define 
a good condition where you say, when this happens on that sort of day, and then only then do I want to have this notification. So it was pretty clear to me that the easiest way is the push notification system, which Apple has has built, but you need a server for this, right? And you there's the only way on your device is through the internet, really. There's no other way. Um, so it was pretty clear to me I needed to build some sort of web service with uh, with a webhook. And what I tried to build was something that's so simple that you, I, I always wanted the app to be no login, no, no like three step sign in process. You just install, you you define a notification, and you get a URL that's both secure, but that's all you need. You just paste this thing somewhere, and that's all you need to trigger. That's the unique key for your device with this notification. That that was always kind of the guiding star. That's what I wanted to build, and and that's what I built basically. And and with this, if you have this URL, you can you know you can trigger it from Ift, you can trigger it from Zapier or or all those online services, and of course now, and that's I think one of the coolest things ever, you can trigger it from HomeKit. So and this makes it very simple to set up uh, for for like Apple smart home uh, nerds. I think is you can actually just run it from a, a HomeKit automation. That is how I got uh, approximately 15 notifications when I got home from work today. So do you want to give us a quick overview of how you do this? Because obviously I know how to do this, but it would be better in your words. Yes. Uh, it, you know, it took me a while to kind of see what's happening there because uh, I, of course, saw the WWDC where they introduced uh, shortcuts and was all cool and all. And they said it's uh, it runs on, on HomeKit 2. And, you know, I didn't really think much of it. And I think it was, again, probably Federico or somebody that says, huh, I I have this alarm system at home where I can uh, uh, run some webhook to notify my device. And I thought, what? Like, and then I kind of, then I kind of saw for the first time, of course, that's what I always wanted to build was a thing where your home automation in a simple way with something you define when it happens, you know, asks you the question, hey, like it's I don't know it's it's getting warm. Should I turn off the heat? Yes or no? And and you just with one tap, ideally on your watch, can say sure. Let's turn it off. Or no no no. I'm I'm still like not now is not a good time for this sort of thing. And with the added shortcut support for uh, HomeKit automations, what you can do is you can convert your like previously you could only uh, trigger a scene or run a scene. So you define a scene like evening lights, and when something happens, you could say run evening lights. And now you can say, instead of run evening lights, convert to shortcut. And you have a couple of those shortcut actions, not all of them, but but enough to trigger a webhook, basically. And so in, inside this automation uh, uh, in HomeKit, you just say, uh, execute, or I think it's called get contents of URL, and then you paste in the webhook from Pushcut. And that's really all the setup you need. Uh, and, and whenever this condition is... Uh, is is happening your homekit hub will will just ping uh your devices or your device and ask the pushcut question and th- combined with uh, the feature that you can run homekit scenes directly from the pushcut notification it's that's when i felt right that's exactly what i wanted to build <laughs> all along was this this one thing that pops up and just asks hey the red light or the blue light today and you just tap blue right then and there and that's it. And the blue light's on. And it's all instantly. Like, there's almost zero delay because it's from your device using the, the HomeKit, uh, Apple, you know, API. That's all fast and works. 
uh, and and the the notification system is pretty much instant too. So I was quite happy with that, to be honest. I I felt like now it's now it has arrived. Now that's what I wanted. And and you add in the Apple Watch app in the mix, and it's truly magical little interactions. I feel like uh, that that's kind of like that that happened recently. So a few weeks ago, I felt like now it now it's what I always wanted it to be in a way. Well, before we dive into the Apple Watch app, I do just want to ask a few more questions because um, you mentioned that you can just paste the URL into, for the notification into the get contents of URL action. But I know that that makes a get call, um, which basically goes, hello, can you give me something? Um, but I know if you switch to a post call, you can also send a bunch of things to Pushcut and then it can change things, for example, the different actions available based on that. Um, can you tell us about that? Uh, yes. I always felt like to for this to be truly powerful, you you shouldn't just trigger like a static thing. Like it shouldn't just be define a notification with the same text that you just say now pop up. It, it's much more meaningful if if the thing that triggers it can say you know what this happened exactly like that and it's now this many degrees and it's like this time or I don't know this person just came home and to give you the text of what has happened and. Uh, so since I had to build this, I thought, why not just be uh, make it all customizable? And and basically, what you can do through this JSON interface, you can you can uh, customize the the text, the title, and you can even pass in a list of actions that the your notification will show. So you can, uh, I don't know, based on the condition, you can have your notification give you different options. And you don't actually need to statically configure them in the app at all. You could just make it all dynamic, basically, and have some sort of server code figure out what what you want this notification to be about. Uh, That's definitely a more advanced case. I would say most people will probably customize the text. And uh, there's also this this thing called input. Uh, It was pretty clear to me that if a certain condition pushes a notification and you tap an action, there might be some sort of information that you have to pass along for the action to be able to be executed. So say if you want to run a, a shortcut that needs to do something, it the shortcut might want to know like in what context we were or what exactly happened or what type of timer I should ask, uh, start or something like that. So I just came up with this very simple input system. It's basically a string, like a value. And if if you pass a value with a notification, and you tap on an action, this value is passed along to the action you execute. And if it's a HomeKit scene, there is no input. HomeKit scenes don't take any input. You can't, I don't know, you can't, um, th- that's just not technically possible. But with shortcuts, it's possible. And if you really want to go all in, you can run any URL or you can run online actions. And then you can use this input to, I don't know, make your, you know, encode it in your URL, run maybe some sort of if command, and the if command can take this input and then send it on to wherever it needs to be sent on. Yeah, so that's that's that. I have to say, I I, I maybe I'm I'm the one distorting the statistics because pretty much every time I run a push cut notification, I I do it with a post because I I try to minimize the total number of notifications I have just so that when I look in in the app, I'm not there going okay, screencast online, screencast online, screencast online, screencast online, you know, repeating the same same sort of title uh, six or seven times. I I just have one for screencast online, and then whenever something happens with one of my videos, um, in in the project management system there or with one of the articles I'm writing for the magazine, it uses that notification, but it customizes what to show me 
and if it should offer an action, and if so, what action should be offered based on exactly what which Zapier's app, in my case, is triggering it, um, which I find to be so useful. So thank you for adding that. Sure. But I do think we got a little bit deep in the stack here pretty fast. The, um, uh, the whole idea of these webhooks, you know, listening to it, you may be confused about, well, where do you get the webhook? You know, it's in the app. It's generated based on the, I don't want to call it shortcut, but the automation you create in Pushcut gives you that, and then you can take that and use it how you want. So the application just really simplifies the process. Absolutely. It definitely does. So at, at the moment, I actually, I only have six notifications here in Pushcut. Um, uh, but then if I tap on it, then underneath the name, there's the webhook URL. And when I tap on that, it offers me uh, the, the option to copy the URL or copy it as a curl command um, or share it, um, which we will get to the usage of the curl commands later, I'm sure. And let's just talk through a couple, just explain a couple, like you've got some examples on your website. I think it's great if you're interested in this you should have, head over to pushcut.io. Uh, and there's a bunch of ex- simple examples there where he's got screenshots to show you how he built the automation. And like he's got one here that when it's sunset, it doesn't just turn your lights on. It gives you a menu of, do you want the dinner light set up, the evening light set up, the movie time light set up, you know, which is really great. And then he's got one where he's showing how to combine push cut to automatically create time entries and toggle based on your location. You know, these are all real world examples that anybody could build. If you just take a look at these, you'll see it's not that difficult. And then you can kind of go from there as well. Um, I, I really like your sample, Simon, because I think that was, for me, it was a good place to kind of start building things. Yeah. In, in fact, I, I believe I should do more of them, but then I also th- feel like maybe somebody else can, you know, share their stories a bit more and I can focus on the coding. Yeah. Uh, Cause I, I don't, I don't necessarily like that sort of work if, to be honest. And there, let's put it like this. There are others that do it way better than I. And so to me, the guides page feels more like a marketing necessity than anything. I, I feel like I should be doing really, but I, it's needed to get to, to, to tell the story, I think. And I would like to take a moment to mention that uh, if anybody is using Pushcut, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners are because people keep asking me for a Pushcut show, um, then uh, please share what you're using it for in the forums because that would be really interesting. And a couple of screenshots maybe of how you're using the app as well would be really nice because I think this is something that is presented in many ways better in a visual format than audio. So it's great that we're doing a, an audio podcast here. Um, but I'm I'm hoping you can understand it. It just looks... Um, extremely nice as well when you when you run it so for example the 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 options of the different scenes you know you've got emoji added next to them which just gives you that that you know one character clue of oh yeah this this is the option i want and you don't have to be you know energetic and actually read words which if it's time for bed and that's what's the notifications telling you then maybe you don't really want to read and you just want to tap the one that's got the bed icon on it and be done well well definitely one of the push cuts um, things I like better than shortcuts is the way it displays its menu options. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yes. uh, it just, you can tell, you know, Simon, you spent some time kind of designing that interface. And whereas with shortcuts, it's just kind of this text list and it, it's okay for one or two options, but when you get a long list, it gets really tedious the way, uh, the way shortcuts does it. Yes. And another advantage I, I found with Pushcut is because Pushcut offers that menu from the notification 
which shortcuts doesn't do. Um, and also you have the the actual name of your notification telling you important information instead of just run this shortcut. Um, and so I, I'm finding it really useful because I can just tap on that notification and it gives me that list right there of the different options that I've chosen to be available to me. And then it works. And I really like that. That was kind of the first idea was to have it in the notification. When you expand them, I always like those notification actions. Or let's put it like this. It's it's not something that you think about a lot, but I always I always notice when an app doesn't have those. Right? When mm-hmm. you, an app gives you a notification and you kind of a 3D touch or long press or whatever, whatever the kids call it these days. Uh, and it it's just nothing. It's just this empty notification with no action. I, I always noticed this and I thought, well, I'd really like to just tap yes or no or open or dismiss or something. And so for me, that that was clear that this was uh, like a, a uh, that needs to be in, like to be directly in the notification. Hey, freelancers, want to save 192 hours? Our friends at FreshBooks can help you do just that with their super simple cloud accounting software. By simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for over 10 million people to deal with their paperwork. FreshBooks automates late payment email reminders, so you can spend less time chasing payments and more time working your magic. And with the new projects feature, you can share files and messages with your clients, contractors, and employees. See how quickly things happen when all of your conversations live in one place. If you're listening to this and not using FreshBooks yet, now is the time to try it. FreshBooks are offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of this show, no credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com automators and enter automators in the how did you hear about us section. We thank FreshBooks for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, Simon, there's something on your website here that I, I'll admit it's a rabbit hole. I have not gone down, but it looks like it could be pretty cool. Explain to me the JSON integration with Pushcut. Uh, so I guess you're talking about the API itself, right? Yeah. So in a way, you can trigger Pushcut notifications in two ways. One is just just copy-paste the URL you get from the app. Don't even think about it. Just slap it in there. It's all safe and good. You'll, you'll be fine. And it triggers a, a notification on your phone. And you can, if, as Rose said before, if you turn it, uh, if you make it a post instead of a get command, uh, it's like basic web stuff, right? If you, if you ch- yeah. change it to post, you can attach this JSON uh, thing. And that's pretty much that. But you can also uh, use the Pushcut API, which... Uh, in a way, it doesn't give you all that much more for just the pushing of notifications. But what you can do is you can, instead of having the secret in the URL, which, let's put it like this, it's it's safe enough for what it does. But if, you know, on wherever you run this, if, if you cannot fully trust the machine this runs on, which I hope you usually do, for example, if you test it out and you copy the URL into a browser somewhere, it'll be in the browser history. And the URL is all you need to trigger the notification. It should yeah. be a big deal. But in general, for like security purposes, it's not the best look to have like a secret in the URL directly. Yeah. It's not a big deal. It's not like somebody can, you know, listen to this, you know, I don't know, you, the, 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 the transfer to the server is encrypted and everything. So it's not, it's not like really bad. It's just not, it's just not a good look. So. You shouldn't do it on a. You shouldn't do it on somebody else's computer. No, exactly. Don't do it on somebody yeah. else's computer, right? If yeah. it, uh, that, that's really all it is, and 
what you can do with the API is you can have an authentication token in the header, basically. Yeah. It's it's not that big a deal. It's just something that that you should have if you have an API is have authentication in the header, not in the URL. And it should and in this case it's a token you can revoke at any time. Uh, and you can so you could I, I don't really know if anybody would need this, but you could set up multiple access tokens to your notifications, use them for different systems. And if any one of those systems, for whatever reason, was compromised and somebody has your access token, you can just disable this one token and everything else will still work. With the secret in the URL, like the URL comes with this sort of password encoded. uh, And once that's compromised for whatever reason, you you, you can't just reset it in the app and say, hey, somebody's sending me notifications, Uh, I don't want this. You tap reset and everything's, you know, you have a new secret and the old one is just... Are no longer valid, but that would kind of break all your notifications you do like this. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure. I think for the average user, you know, don't if the word API doesn't get you excited, you don't have to. You don't have to go there. It's fine. But if if like web APIs are is what makes your heart goes faster, there is an API you can do things with it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And this is also advantageous if you're writing your own code and then you do what you're not supposed to do, which is accidentally commit your authorization token to Git. Uh, and then it's publicly on your GitHub profile and somebody can wander along and just see it. Then you can reset it and add a note in the readme that it is a sample token that does not work. Uh, not that this has ever happened to me with any service at all. <laughs> I was say, Rose, that sounds like the voice of experience. <laughs> every, pretty much every programmer has accidentally committed something to a repository uh, or a version control at some point that they shouldn't have, be that a database password or, or an authorization token, something. Uh, but at some point, these things... You know, if you're if you're writing code from scratch, you're going to put it somewhere that you didn't intend to put it, and then it's nice to have that option to 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 kill the authorization token and to generate a new one because then it doesn't mean that your mistake is the end of your Pushka experience. Now, Simon, you added a feature recently. In fact, it's one of the main reasons I want to have you on the show because I think it's just so useful. Is the Apple Watch integration? Why don't you talk us through that? You know, I love the Apple Watch. I've and I have for years. Uh, but for this app, I didn't really feel the... Originally, it ran shortcuts, and it would open other apps through the URLs, right? That's what you would do. And both of these things don't work on the Apple Watch. So sadly, I just felt, well, not this time. Maybe with the next step I, I do, I'll, I'll make something more watch-friendly. But then I started adding you know, uh, online actions where you can trigger Zapier or uh, uh, Integrament directly. And now Microsoft Flow is added, so you can you can connect those systems, and with a tap of a button, you can run something in Zapier directly. Uh, and you can do that on the watch; that works. And then I added the uh, the HomeKit uh, scenes, uh, where you can, with a tap of a button, run a HomeKit scene directly, and you can do that on the watch. And then, just to make things complete, I added the like background URL support, basically mainly to be able to trigger ifs. Uh, if uh, webhooks directly, yeah, if this, uh, and then that. that works on the watch. And then I just yeah. felt, well, now I've got a package, and uh, it was a pleasure doing Swift UI on the watch. Really, it's the first time I did, uh, did Swift UI too. It's really fun. And uh, Rose, you said that you, you think the notifications look great with with the uh, emoji and everything. I mm-hmm. love how it feels on the watch. I think on the watch, it's just I don't know what is what it's about. It. I think the blackness of it. I don't know. It's just it's even it's even prettier on the watch if you have. Like the the little notifications with the 
with the emoji. It, it feels good. And then you get the little vibration when you tap it and it works. It's, it's good times. Yes. Yeah. I have to say the haptic feedback on the watch is very nice. And uh, when when doing something like, for example, choosing which scene it is that you want to run at, at uh, 9 p.m. at night, it, it's, it, it does just give you that little feeling of satisfaction. Um, because maybe this is just the automation nerd in me talking, but I really like tapping buttons and then stuff just happens. Um, I'm like a little kid at Christmas. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's me. And- you and me both. <laughs> well, it, it's also just such an obvious use case for an app like this where, you know, the app push cut is in a lot of ways a very fancy trigger. And so wouldn't that make sense if you walk in the front door and you get a little tap on your wrist and you look down and then you choose what light set up or what music you want to play or, you know, whatever. And it's great. It just does a good job of it. And it just seems like such a natural fit. As soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh, that's obvious. I hadn't really thought about it in terms of push cut. But now that I have it, it's like, yes, of course, this is what we needed the whole time. Yeah. And in a way, every good app does that, right? Every good app gives you those notifications and quick interactions that you use all the time. And, and that's that's what that's what the watch is for, for, for the most part, is, is those quick interaction, like really quickly. You, you turn your wrist and it all needs to be there and you tap the thing and needs to work within, you know, immediately. And then you're, you're out again. And, but so many apps don't. And so many situations don't give you good notifications, especially HomeKit again. You know, you, there are a few, I think. There are a few things it does. It, it informs you about certain stuff. But you, you certainly can't tell HomeKit I want in this situation, I want to have this question, and, and that's the options I want to have. And and now with Pushcut and, and HomeKit and the watch, I think it's it's like a perfect trio. I, I feel so too. I like you said. It's once you see the, the screenshot of the of the, the HomeKit question, hey, like should we do this or that on the watch? I think that that tells you the story, like what this is for. A quick interaction you can tap on basically. Yeah, I mean, like you were saying earlier, it's nice that app developers, good apps, will will give you the prompts you want on the watch, but none of them let you make your own prompt, is which is what Pushcut does. Like I can say, uh, "Am I going to listen to Star Wars today, or am I going to listen to jazz?" You know, and and just like it just shows up on my watch, I tap a button and music starts playing, and and it all happens so seamlessly that that's that's the kind of automation I get excited about. Me too. I'm very glad to hear that. All right. Um, so, Simon, share some of your favorite automations. Maybe it's push cut. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's some of your HomeKit stuff. We'd love to hear some of the stuff you're doing with automation. Uh, sure. So one thing I have to say, ever since I started developing PushCut, my automation life has been a mess. <laughs> uh, I realized <laughs> this the other day that like, what people like you do, like people who talk about those things and from personal experience and test out things all the time and have the, the latest betas of everything, I couldn't handle my one app, really. I, like Everything fell apart because I, yeah. you know, you're setting up test situations and test shortcuts and, and you test this and that and then you forget about it. And for a screenshot, you kind of clear out this a little bit and then uh, it was a nightmare. So <laughs> I, am, I am like at the worst uh, ever in terms of uh, personal things I, I do with it. The, the cobbler whose children have no shoes. <laughs> exactly. That's what it feels like. But I do... So so one thing, d- depending on how legal this is, I might or might not have done the following. I, I Not as much as right now, but back then I would go to McDonald's, like, I don't know, twice a month maybe. And I would always go drive-through here in Wells. And 
uh, I have this app. I guess I guess it's everywhere where you can collect those points, and they scan this sort of they scan the barcode in the app. And I never know where this app is, and and I would always sit in the car and type in McDonald's to search for it on on the phone, just to get the the stupid app to to scan the barcode. And so that's one of the things I tried out with with iBeacons basically, and I, I set up a push get notification that whenever I'm at the McDonald's, and and now here's the story: when it's legal to place an iBeacon on some street sign somewhere. Uh, then I did that, and if not, I I set up a chi offense, but it worked perfectly, basically. And and whenever Wait I go a there, <laughs> you, you have placed eye beacons out in the world for your own use. I can either confirm or deny. <laughs> I love that. That is absolutely that. genius. So if that's not against some sort of law regulation, uh, then that's a pretty good. It's a pretty, pretty good deal because there's a, a road next to the McDonald's uh, that I, I drive by like all the time. It's a, it's a big road that like you kind of drive there all the time. And it would always trigger whenever I, I go past it. And it w- didn't feel good enough. So with iBeacon, you can, you can go a lot you know, more focused in terms of location. And now I have this thing. Whenever I, I go there, my phone says, hey, should we open this app? And I say, yeah. And then I just call a shortcut that opens the app. And that's that. <laughs> it's one of those small little things, but I don't know. That that's kind of what I really like about the. I think the best automations are the ones that are like two steps, but it's like the just the right steps at the right time. Yeah, I, I I'm just I'm picturing in my mind like the gardener at McDonald's looking in the planter box and saying, "What is this thing in the planter?" <laughs> yeah, I mean they're really small, right? If you don't know where it is, you'll not find it. Yeah, but if it's there at all. That. It's like you've just opened up a whole world to me. I'm just thinking, where are the places in the world I need to put an iBeacon? <laughs> I, I suspect that David's gym will shortly be outfitted with iBeacon technology, and the gym owners may or may not know about this. <laughs> or even like I was thinking, the supermarket is a good one because that's you know like the the this is a this is an example automation gone awry. Um, you know, using a geolocation fence around my my supermarket, I always go to the same market all the time. Um, and then, you know, you go there you and then the automation triggers to get you your grocery list, you know, whatever it is that you need to buy. Um, but the problem is, as you guys mentioned, those fences are too big, you know? And so I drive by the grocery store all the time and it's always trying to tell me to buy milk and I'm not actually going to the grocery store. So I'm thinking, huh, I wonder where I could put one in in or very close to the grocery store. Uh, Unfortunately for me, I regularly walk past, uh, there's three different grocery stores I go to on a regular basis, and I regularly walk past uh, two or three of them on the way home from work, depending on which way it is I'm taking home. So if I did that, then I would still get the notifications. I think I'll stick with my my geofence in that respect. Oh, but it would get even better. Like, let's say you only get the spicy carrots at Trader Joe's, then... If you had an iBeacon near your Trader Joe, it would only give you that. You could have separate lists. Uh, Simon, you're causing trouble. I can already yeah, tell you. You know, that only works if not everybody's doing it, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. put it this way. If, if you live in a community where you know that there are other nerds, you could also share iBeacons. Uh, absolutely. And I'm willing to bet that there are other nerds in Orange County. There probably are where, where you are as well, Simon. I'm sure there are people in Vienna. So if anybody's up for sharing some iBeacons... Oh. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I think the whole iBeacon thing was was invented to to get places or stores or like museums to place mm-hmm. them. 
and have their apps pick up on them. I, I believe. I think that was the the original intent. It was. Uh, I believe it was done by Apple originally to help track the flow of customers in the Apple Store. Uh, I'm probably completely wrong on this, so I'll, I'll try and find the original information for the show notes. Um, but it, it's so they they can tell where you are in the store and give you information based on that. Because if you've noticed, if you're like right in front of or inside an Apple Store, whether or not you're connected to the Wi-Fi, if you have the Apple Store app installed on your phone, it pops up and goes. Hi, welcome to XYZ Apple Store. Um, yeah. And I'm pretty certain that that is done with iBeacons. Somebody from Apple, if you know that this is done with iBeacons and you want to write to me and let me know, I will not tell anybody, but I can just, you know, follow up on a future podcast um, because I would really like to know that. But I, I'm pretty certain that that's what it was for. It's to help track people inside of stores and either provide them with more information or provide the stores with marketing information, um, depending on how they choose to implement it. Well, just given the way it works, I would almost guarantee you it's iBeacon because it's such a small geofence. It literally happens as you walk in the front door. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what they were meant to be. And, and they're also so inexpensive, right? So you could just, you know, place them all over the place, really. It's not it's not a big deal. Yeah, but as I said before, like reading through the documentation, it feels a bit like a forgotten technology. Like it was this big thing, and then nobody really cared about it, and now it's it's sitting around. I mean, you can you can order them on Amazon, and but you, it's I don't know. It feels it feels a bit forgotten. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Flatiron School. Launch a career in tech with Flatiron School's modern curriculum, paired with one-on-one support from dedicated career coaches, all in just fifteen weeks. Fall is in the air and the kids aren't the only one going back to school. At Flatiron School, students are parents, musicians, travelers, and working professionals from all walks of life. Learn software engineering, UX, UI design, or data science at Flatiron School in just 15 weeks. And launch a new career with one-on-one support from their dedicated career coaches. Flatiron School stands behind their students with a money-back guarantee. Complete details are at flatironschool.com slash terms. Flatiron School's committed instructors have both industry and teaching experience and are backed by the master teachers and learning experience designers to ensure you get the best possible support, whether you choose to learn on campus or online. This fall, pursue your passion and discover your potential and go back to school with Flatiron School. Get a head start with the free boot camp prep course at flatironschool.com slash automators. See you in class. Our thanks to Flatiron School for their support of the automators and Relay FM. All right, Simon, we've been talking about iBeacons. I think we've been teasing the audience. So let's let's just go and do some iBeacon 101 right now. Um, the uh, If someone's listening and they're tempted to, I don't know, put one at their McDonald's, um, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe just in their office, you know that that works too. I mean, um, you're the lawyer. I'm pretty sure you have to ask for permission. I before I, you do I that. don't know what you're talking about. I'm I'm a <laughs> geek right now. I'm not a lawyer. Um, but the uh, so but just how do you get started with iBeacons? You know where where do you buy them and and talk about the setup because I I really think the barrier to these things is you get one and you're not even sure what you're supposed to do with it. I think you're right, and also I'm not really a big expert on it. I. What I did, I, I went to Amazon. I I, uh, I I you know typed in iBeacon and I just ordered the cheapest one. I think it was a three pack, and I did this like a year ago. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. So that's all I have. And you 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 they're like these little discs. I don't know, like like a 
like a bigger coin maybe and uh, you put in a battery and the tricky part you have to set them up once and i think every manufacturer has their own sort of system but basically there are free apps there's i think it's i don't know what it was called it's like something like set set param like set parameter and it would just connect to the side beacon. I don't even know. I'm not so sure how. I don't even know what technology this is. I think it's Bluetooth related somehow. So what do you have to do once is you set up, you have to give it this ID, which is this long uh, long text with weird characters in it. And it's just a unique ID, right? It's just a, yeah. like a long key, if you will. And, and that's really all you need to set. There are two other values called major and minor. As far as I understand, this was... Uh, back then kind of invented to help those cases where let's say McDonald's would use them like for real and and they would have one McDonald's ID and they could use the major minor to maybe address their their individual restaurants and maybe even the entrances and and so each door could have its own uh, you know unique key major minor sort of uh, uh, identifier but you don't need that Uh, all you need is the, the the one ID and you just set that and the other thing you can set is the the strength, the signal strength. That's where it gets really, you know, funny because it's not really that it's not that clean cut. You can't you don't set it in meters or or a yard or whatever. You set it in in like a some sort of decibel signal strength weakening. Yeah. And I I'm not too I, I don't know what that means, but basically if you google around you'll find a table where it says well, if you set it to negative 70 that means roughly 10 meters. And if you set it to this number, that means roughly 150 meters. And it, it all depends, of course, on like which walls are in the middle and, and what the situation is. But more or less, that's what you need to set up. The, the one ID and uh, the one identification string and the signal strength. And once that's set up, that's like this thing will run for years, basically. And you just place it or, or don't uh, somewhere next to a McDonald's. And yeah. uh, then you copy the the ID into Pushcut and and give it a name and say that's now the McDonald's location, yeah. and from that from that forward it's literally literally the same as a Chiu fence. So even even the iPhone itself treats this thing much like a Chiu fence. You can enter this region that's that's kind of produced by the beacon, and you can leave the region produced by the beacon. That's it. And I think that starts with iPhone ten. I mean, it's not. All of the iPhones that can no, see that, these. that's NFC. That's I way think. older. Yeah, oh, it's, it? it's been around for quite a long time because uh, Launch Center Pro added this uh, quite a few years ago, um, and I, I don't remember. But that was in the version before they did the recent update, and it was working on my iPhones years ago. So I, I've been using this for quite a while, um, and uh, I've got I've got a couple sitting around in coffee cups uh, on my desk, along with some pens and paper clips and things like that. Um, but I have the the Estimote beacons, and they they are a little more expensive, and they're unfortunately not available on Amazon right now, um, which makes them a little harder to get hold of because you have to buy them from Estimote directly, and they're more set up for developers. Um, but they also have an NFC tag built in, which means that the one on my desk at work recently got taken out of the coffee cup and put on my desk. So when I go into the region, Pushcut tells me, hey, uh, you probably want to clock in and why leave it clock out um but then when i tap it then it runs a shortcut to um help me with my time tracking at work so i have a two and one there and what what's the software you use to manage the estimates uh, there's an estimate app uh it is uh updated for the iphone 10 size i'm not sure if they ever updated it for the max size um 
but uh, it works pretty well. And in my case, I can replace the batteries inside of mine, which I recently had to do because I've had them for over two years. And the battery life on them is approximately two years, at least on mine. It varies depending on the device, of course. Yeah, that's the thing I liked about the estimates, too. They were more expensive, but you can manage them from the phone. Yeah. But then I'm looking online, and I hadn't really thought about kind of cheap iBeacons, but you can get like two for $17. It's not not super expensive. Hmm. I may, I may, and I may have to buy some more. I also have uh, one in my suitcase, and I usually turn this automation off, except when I'm traveling. But then when I'm traveling, I turn it on because a, it allows me to know where my suitcase gets near me, um, and b, it lets me use my hotel room as a location, um, and then it prompts me to to do stuff uh, like open OmniFocus for the things I intended to do when I got back to my hotel room, like installing this super large app on Wi-Fi. Um, for example, which when you're traveling and you don't have data roaming because you're in the U.S. and it's horrendously expensive is quite useful. You know, now that you said that, one thing we didn't really cover, but I feel is could be of value to, to especially listeners of this show, you can use shortcuts to schedule pushcut notifications. Oh, And yes. one thing you can do is you can use shortcuts to schedule pushcut notifications when you arrive at a location, which can be a beacon. Yeah. So I think... I didn't. I don't think anybody has really set this up well. At least nobody that has contacted me about it. But in my brain, it was a good way maybe to have some sort of system that reads. I don't know to dos, and you can schedule them when you arrive home, or some sort of fancy way of snoozing tasks that you can connect to beacons. That I think you can't really do otherwise. So if you have a cool solution built with that, let me know. In my case, I'm using the 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 shortcut integration to to schedule notifications. So when I clock in at work, it prompts me in eight hours to clock out um, because you know I I frequently end up staying at work longer than the the scheduled eight hours a day. Um, and this way, I, I get reminded with a helpful. By the way, when you are leaving, just tap here. Um, but of course, then when I leave the iBeacon area, um, should I be leaving early or considerably later? And I've for some reason cleared out my notifications. Then then I get that as well. Um, and for me, the iBeacons are extremely helpful just because I work on the sixth floor. I live on the fourth floor. Geofencing is not as accurate as a, a small iBeacon in an office. Well, I think we're going to have to do more coverage of this going going forward on these. You know, it's just, we talked about this when we first started doing the show. We just haven't got around to it yet. But, um, but uh, you know, Pushcut in particular is a great application to use if you want to go down the iBeacon rabbit hole. Yes, it really is. And for me, it's it's become one of these apps that I'm I'm not really sure how I would live without it because as well as using it for the automations and everything else that we've talked about on this episode, I also use it to get notifications out of things that I otherwise wouldn't necessarily get notifications out of. Um, like through, what? Well, for example, um, uh, the um, I've got some project management software which doesn't have iOS support um, and it doesn't offer iBeacon, uh, sorry, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't offer uh, push notifications. It doesn't offer iBeacon support as, as yeah. well either, surprisingly enough. Um, <laughs> but it, it fails to send me notifications when things get assigned to me and stuff like that, which is stuff I would really like to know about. But it has support for webhooks. And so I yeah. just set it up so that whenever something gets assigned to me, it pings a webhook um, with the information. It, it does a post and it, sent, and it tells me, hey, XYZ was assigned to you. And then more information, and when I tap on it, it opens the URL to the web application, which has been an absolute lifesaver because stuff has been being assigned to me left, right, and center. And this way, I actually know about it, and I don't have to rely on email notifications and then weeding through weeding through my email inbox 
which after spending a week on a training course in Germany is uh, rather far away from inbox zero, much further than I would like. So Simon, uh, what's the, well, first of all, kind of your personal story, this was a success for you and now this is your full-time gig, right? I mean, it's a bit early to call it a success, uh, like financially. And I know I'm on the Automators podcast, so I could die right now. You know what I mean? It's It's been great. Uh, that sort of uh, feedback I've been, uh, that, uh, you know, being able to to speak to people like you about that. So that's very successful, successful if you ask me. I think for 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 a person and a family to be able to live off an app, it needs to be it needs to do fantastically, not just yeah. good. So I'm not sure where I am on uh, in this area, but you know, it's 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 not even been a year uh, uh, doing this sort of work, and so it's it's all all still possible. I'm still dreaming. I'll tell you, we're all glad you're dreaming because this is a great app and. Anybody that's interested in automation needs to check out Pushcut. You can download it for free. There is a, a subscription if you want to get some additional features, but even just the stuff you give away for free is really powerful. So I think everybody should at least give this one a try. And like I said, um, you know, it's an audio pad podcast. It's a very technical subject. So I'd, I'd recommend heading over to the Pushcut website and taking a look at some of the examples. Um, another place you can go is into the forums for the automators. We've got these great forums and lots of people sharing stuff there. And um, and give this a try. Yeah, thanks for saying that. Simon, any, uh, where should people reach out if they want to get into, get a hold of you? Uh, I, you know, the forums is a good place. I'm, I've try, I'm, I'm trying to be be there all the time and, you know, see if anybody has a question in this area. Uh, of course, there's Twitter. Uh, you can, you know... Uh, find the the app on Twitter. I tried to post, you know, uh, about updates or new features there as they come out. One thing I could, I, I was just uh, thinking about, as Rose mentioned, the 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 situation where you want a notification eight hours after you enter a region. Uh, I'm actually like working on a feature right now to have this sort of delayed location notification. So that might be something that you get uh, out of the box. And once that version ships, I'll, uh, I'm sure to announce it on, on Twitter, too. So that's a good place, I would say. There's also a Reddit. Uh, so anywhere. If you, if you Google it, you'll find it. So just, just uh, ping a message through. I'm, I'm always happy to receive them. Yeah. Well, I recommend everybody download and give Pushcut a try if you haven't already got it installed. It's, a, it's just a great app. And if you're interested in automation, it, it just opens some doors that you didn't have otherwise. And... And honestly, the just the the way you display the options, like I said at the beginning, it's automation triggers plus options, which it's not that easy to get that in other ways. So um, that's worth checking out for that reason alone. Uh, we are the Automators. You can find us over at relay.fm slash automators. Thank you to our sponsors, Flatiron School, FreshBooks, and Smile. And we will see you in a couple of weeks. Goodbye, everybody.